Welcome to a podcast about tactics. I'm John McKenzie and I'm joined by two guys who are Manchester United supporters, data analysts, two of the most beautiful men who appear regularly on my timeline, but also two men who are often persona non grata on Manchester United Twitter. Yes, it's Case von Hemmen and Aaron Moniz. I am going to introduce both of you individually so that the listeners can get a sense of who is who. So I'll start off with Case. Case, how are you? I'm good, John. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I'm sure you're both really looking forward to talking about your favourite thing, which is Ralph Rangnick's Manchester United. Yeah, it's just about all we talk about. (laughs) (laughs) And Aaron, great to have you on as well. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, the first episode of this was great. And uh, yeah, if you if you can't remember, Case is the one is super American. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure our listeners from over in Europe will be able to keenly distinguish the two different accents that you have. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be able to jumble on through all the same. But as I've said, we are going to be talking a little bit about the Ralph Rangnick era at Manchester United. I think the best place for us to begin is by contextualizing where you both were at before Ralph Rangnick arrived at the club. Case, we'll start with you. What was your overall view of the situation at Manchester United before Rangnick arrived? Yeah, and there's two ways to look at this. Before Rangnick arrived and we knew somebody was coming in, I think the hope was just really for any modern tactician. I don't really want to get too in-depth with what Ali brought to the table and what he didn't bring to the table, but I think for the most part, there's a consensus that there was something lacking from a tactical perspective, especially uh, when it came to in-possession tactics. And so my hope before we knew it was going to be Rangnick was really anybody who had a, a more modern approach, even if that wasn't my favorite approach. The bar was low. <laughs> Once we knew it was Rangnick, I think I was optimistic. I've wanted United to, to be a more proactive pressing side for a long time. And obviously that's how he was sold. Uh, and that's how he's known. And I also think the pace of play that he professes to want his sides to play, and that I think we've seen, is good. And is something that United probably needed. Even if Solskjaer claims to be a, a proactive, quick-moving manager in terms of the type of football he'd like to play. I think there were uh, still pace of play problems. Would you echo that, Aaron? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think we could have a full episode about the board level and management level failures of United's managers and board prior to Rangnick, especially after Ferguson retired. Besides that, I mean, I think the angle from United's board here was that they were appointing someone who was going to be an interim coach, but also have a slightly longer term view of what would happen at the club. So they would initiate what will then be continued uh, over the next two, three years as kind of the next reboot of Manchester United, whether that works or not, whether they give him the authority, I guess remains to be seen. But Yeah, for now, I mean, I was optimistic to see someone who actually has very high pedigree and experience running football clubs, uh, building football clubs, and hopefully instilling some change from bottom to top, starting with the first team and how they play as a a side. Yeah, I I just tack on to that. Definitely the main exciting thing about the appointment was the notion that he might be involved with the front office after this season. Yeah, and we'll come on to talk about that aspect a little bit later in the the episode but let's talk about your initial responses to the news that Rangnick was going to be the the manager of Manchester United I know you both spent some time watching Rangnick's football before he arrived to prepare yourselves what do you feel about the tactical approach at that point and and how did you feel about the announcement altogether I'll start with you on this Aaron so watching Rangnick's Leipzig side I, I didn't get to watch any of his prior sides to that but 
the main sort of aspects were exactly what I mean, I think the most trending video on YouTube probably after his announcement was that coach's voice video where he talks about how he sees the game in five different phases in possession, out of possession, uh, the two transitions and set pieces. And everything he says in that video is pretty much clearly evident in his Leipzig side, extremely quick to get back into shape after losing the ball, pressing out of that shape when they win the ball, trying to get to goal quickly to take advantage of the unsettled opposition shape. I would almost say like being opportunistic about how quickly they can get up the pitch. They would take risks that most other teams wouldn't take that would lead to them losing the ball with the hope that they could press and win it back if they lost it or be in a really good situation to score a goal if they won the duel high up the pitch. And in terms of how I felt that would be suited to United, I had concerns about sort of some of the personnel mainly up front and at the back in terms of how they could kind of fit into that system and be able to really play a high-tempo pressing game. United have been attacking in pretty much solely in transitions at a high level for, for a long time, so I was less concerned about that, but more so how they would get Rangnick to actually operate a high-press and less structured, indirect possession system at a high level. Case, Michael Cox is a bit of a bugbear at the moment with this idea of Ralph Rangnick not having actually coached a, a side in a very long time. You've obviously watched his RB Leipzig side as well. Do you buy that criticism from Michael Cox? Do you think that Rangnick doesn't have that, that sort of cutting edge that you might expect from a high-level manager to then function within this Manchester United side? Or do you think that there's plenty of evidence from that RB Leipzig team that he is a decent coach? 2017-18, even if it seems like it was a long time ago, it really wasn't. Football hasn't changed so much that I, I think you can write off what was objectively a really strong league campaign from Leipzig. And, and I, I don't think you can, you can write off Rangnick's role, even though he was there only for a year and there were obviously long-term tactical foundations before he took over. I think there are also question marks about exactly how well his style translates to the highest level, but I don't think you can honestly look at these last three months, and I'm sort of spoiling maybe what you wanted to get into later, but I don't think you can look at these last three months and say definitively that there are flaws in his managerial approach or there aren't flaws in his managerial approach. I just don't think it's enough time, especially when you're coming into the situation that Manchester United had, which was bad. I would add on to that by saying, like, as an interim coach, there weren't really that many options available who are cutting-edge, top-end coaches of the modern game. By the time this conversation was happening, Conte had already joined Spurs, and he was probably the only high, high-end coach who moved this year. And you also look at Rangnick's record and you say he's influenced like a quarter of the Premier League's managers at this point directly with with his style and, and exactly pretty much what he was playing at Leipzig, like Kay said, two or three years ago. So yeah, I mean, I in terms of an interim appointment, uh, I don't think he was tactically anywhere near the lower end of what United could have gotten. And I think he's way ahead of the last few managers United have had on a full-time basis. So yeah. I would go so far as to say we've seen a more coherent tactical plan than anyone since probably LBG. And even if you include him, I would say as coherent as his approach was, Rangnick's is more modern. Let's talk a little bit about your expectations at that point when he was announced for what Rangnick would do with the Manchester United squad. So you've talked a lot about how 
you had these sort of tactical expectations and that you thought that this was a modern system. That's all well and good, but you do have to try and squeeze that into some kind of squad system. And as you've already mentioned, a lot of managers at Manchester United have had the chance to impose some kind of tactical system at the club and they haven't managed to do that. So Case, what did you make of the Rangnick style in particular fitting in at the club? It's funny, Aaron highlighted personnel issues specifically at the front and at the back. And I agree. My impression at the beginning was that that would be the biggest problem. But I also think, at least based on the conversations we've had recently, what's wound up being the biggest problem has been midfield personnel. I think for the most part, this is a blanket statement and, and, and there obviously are exceptions, but I think you can generally get most young players to adapt to a pressing style, especially if you're given the time, whether that be a few months or, or a year or more. And I think the United squad, generally speaking, is young enough that you should be able to adapt most of the players over a long period. The real question is whether or not he's going to get that time and whether it was like a good interim investment to start making those changes. And I think you can see in sort of how he's made compromises in his tactical approach that that's the case. There's short-term squad limitations that I don't think have to be long-term squad limitations, if that makes sense. How about you, Aaron? I, for the most part, agree with that. I think the midfield has turned out to be a big issue, even more so in possession than out with how they exert influence over games. At times, games that United are in control of, and I think this has actually been a big theme under Rangnick so far, is they lose control of games that they had control of in the early stages. And I think fitness plays a part in that. I think some of the personnel has played a part in that. But the big personnel part has been midfield, where there are times in games where they just can't grasp control, they can't get the ball out of pressure, and a lot of it has to do with how the midfield receives and releases the ball from the defenders or in possession, the decisions they make when progressing the ball, the risk-reward trade-offs of the passes they choose, and how those lead to being able to sustain pressure and possession as a team. And I think that's a problem that Rangnick won't be able to solve without changing the personnel in the midfield, at least for now. Well, let's talk about those early experiments, I suppose we could call them, when Rangnick started out at the club with the classic 4 triple 2 system that Red Bull has often used. What would you say to those early experiments? Would you say that they were successful or that the failure was inherently obvious from the off? It's kind of interesting because I almost feel like as far as I can remember, the best 4-2-2-2 game was the first one against Crystal Palace, where United actually did have control. They didn't create that much, but they had control of the match for the most part and slowly broke them down and won the game in the end. After that, I think maybe as more personnel became available and more teams had ways to sort of expose the midfield, it unraveled a little bit. Like, the biggest issue being trying to play three strikers up front who don't have any sort of defensive output out of possession and don't really create anything in possession. I think a lot of players were struggling with the actual configurations of the roles in the front four. So one issue being Sancho was very much struggling to get through 90 minutes of the match, but also he was sort of struggling to take the entire creative burden of the team without proper fullbacks the fullbacks he was going with, like Tellez and at times Wambasaka, sometimes Delo. When you play the four triple two, they kind of need to be able to provide the width so that the two behind the striker have the freedom to move laterally across the pitch and actually pick up the ball in in, in creative situations. And they were really struggling to do that. 
which meant that United weren't really creating properly at times. And then when they lost the ball, they weren't getting back into shape quickly enough. Like, I think one thing Rangnick said in a press conference was the role of the two behind the striker is actually the most important upon ball loss because they have to get into shape the quickest and are usually the farthest from their initial shape. And basically, there were just a whole number of issues that seemed like United couldn't really get around. It felt like they were getting outnumbered in multiple areas of the pitch and not creating enough numerical advantages in a number of phases. So, I mean, that's a little bit vague, but yeah, it just felt like it wasn't working after the first game. It's interesting hearing you talking a little bit about control there, because I think when most fans hear the word control, they tend to think more in terms of controlling possession. But that's obviously a very different account of what you're talking about here. So could you talk us through that notion of control? And as an adjunct to that question, I'm interested in your thoughts about how the Manchester United fans would feel about that concept of control, whether or not they're expecting something more like a possession or account of control. When I say control, I more mean in a sense of how much luxury in possession is afforded to the opposition. So I think if I were to ask Rangnick what his definition of control were, he might say something along the lines of not allowing the opposition time on the ball and taking advantage of when they lose the ball. And I think that was the game where United didn't really allow Crystal Palace to have anything in the final third. I think they had three or four shots the entire game and they were all low quality limiting what they were able to do. And then when they won the ball, getting forward quickly, getting in the final third and trying to stay in the final third for as long as possible. In terms of chaos, as a United fan, I don't really think the club has a history of extreme methods of controlling games. I don't really think that's that's what people associate old United sides as good as they were with. It's difficult because I think we've kind of reached a point where United fans and the time at which United were successful is a is a style that you're not really seeing implemented at at the highest level anymore like most sides that are playing at the top level of the game have they have some kind of elite tactical ability in possession to exert a level of just high end possession control or a, a couple managers who are very very good at just denying space and time to the opposition and through that having elite defensive numbers that allow them to win most games. And I don't think United were really associated with either of those things, so I'm not sure about the level of expectation. But I think it's difficult to say, but it's kind of tough to distinguish between like control in the sense of having a lot of possession and, and being able to force the opposition into mistakes versus control into capitalizing upon their mistakes and the chaos that they create. Case, what's your take on all of this? Addressing the control issue first, generally speaking, it's about making your rest defense stagnate their attack and then being extremely effective in exploiting when they do give up the ball. So it's not so much about holding possession in their half for long periods and seeming to sort of deny them any opportunity to build an attack. It's more just about creating a stagnant game state when, when, when they're in possession and creating a chaotic game state when you have possession. So that doesn't look like control, I think, to most people. When people think control, they think like pep, passing the ball around, opponent having like 30% possession and, and no threat on, on your goal. And I think this is just a different thing. Whether it's better or worse is a different conversation. And then with regards to the, the four triple two, real quick, Aaron touched on this, but I, I really think Bruno in particular struggled as one of the wide tens with the defensive role. Generally speaking, I think he doesn't really know what to do defensively when he's not playing at the, at the point of a 4-2-3-1. He likes to press like a second striker, 
it doesn't really know how to behave as part of a midfield unit. And I think that wide pen roll was just even crazier than being part of a three for him. He would just go on these, these rampaging pressing runs, I'll call them, and it would pull the whole shape out. Uh, and then there were also issues with Greenwood tracking. He struggled with that wide roll. And then obviously Ronaldo isn't exactly high work rate. Whether or not you think he's accommodatable is a different question. But essentially, I think those, those two wide pens and the two strikers basically made, made it an untenable system without like a, probably a summer training and preseason. So in terms of what you have seen from those early games, did it feel as though it just very quickly didn't work and, and what ended up happening was a lot more sort of, well, let's see what we could do with what we've got now. We, we can't really make it function. I think... To anyone who maybe hadn't watched his previous sides, I, I think there was a lot of discourse around how sort of aimless it looked at times because you couldn't, like for me, what I saw was what United were trying to do and failing to do. Whereas I think a lot of others would have seen just a mess that kind of continued from the previous mess and trying to make sense of it. And I think having that kind of understanding of what Rangnick was doing previously was was what really made it for me, look like, oh, there are these fundamentals that he's trying to put in place, but it's just not quite working yet. And I think sort of what orchestrated a slight change from that is more how he could instill his key principles of how he views the game within this United team as much as possible, as opposed to how he could make the best of the team after abandoning his principles because I, I still think we see like even though it's not a 4-2-2-2 I still think we see a lot of principles of Rangnick teams in general and I still think there's a lot of things that United do that are very reminiscent of his other teams it's just kind of slightly different and adapted for maybe an elite or a squad with more balance issues and more high-end individual talent than Rangnick's previous sides. I agree that there were traces of of what Rangnick wanted to do when we were using that four triple two I think just generally how bad the defensive performances were the first half of the season under Solskjaer could not have possibly continued I think we were like third to bottom on XG conceded when he was fired it's kind of hard to maintain defensive form that bad with players of any quality and so he saw the benefits of, of sort of that regression back to their skill level but otherwise, it was a mess. Like, you could see things like, you could see he was trying to get the center backs to play more direct balls into the channel. There were different orientations in possession. A lot of the time, uh, when either of the fullbacks would have the ball wide, you would see diamonds forming, which you almost never saw, at least deliberately under Solskjaer. And there were a few other things, but for the most part, it was clear the roles he was trying to put these players into were too complicated. Well, let's talk about the principles then of this Red Bull system. As we've said, the, the Red Bull approach is a gegenpressing pressing system. It's a counter-pressing system, and it relies on direct attacking and then a, an intense counter-press if the ball is turned over. The general idea being that if you do turn the ball over quickly, then hopefully you'll be able to attack within, I think, 10 seconds is the, the figure that's usually given, and you hope to exploit somehow the space that is opened up. 
So let's talk about both in turn. So we'll start with the direct attacking side of things. In many respects, it would seem like Manchester United would be suited to a system which prioritises direct attacking. We'll go on to talk more generally about possession, but how do you think the specific aspect of Rangnick's attacking has looked under his time at Manchester United case? You can basically divide this between after this last international break and before this last international break. Before this last international break, we were honestly stunted when it came to the attack. I think a lot of that had to do with the 4 triple two. Things weren't linked together. There was a lack of an exit ball when we did finally win the ball in our own half, which meant that the transitions were just too slow, so we weren't able to isolate opposition back lines. And then on the occasions when we did, the front two didn't have good dynamics. A lot of the time, it just they weren't complementary profiles, and they didn't seem to understand the instructions they had. Once we switched to a 4-3-3, I think we've really seen the benefits of the approach that, that Rangnick wants to use. There was always talk under Polestar about wanting to play quick football and about how you can beat low defensive blocks by counterattacking, by just electing not to face the block. And I think both Aaron and I sort of pushed back against that. But we are seeing sort of, I think recently, what that might have looked like if it had been implemented. I think especially against Middlesbrough, Burnley, and Watford. And to be fair, these are awful defensive sides, but they are sides that wanted to sit deep against us. And we were a lot more capable of turning ball losses in the midfield area into our front three running at isolated back lines. Uh, so I, I would say that's really what the difference has been in attack, has been sort of creating these semi-transitions that aren't full-on counterattacks repeatedly, minute to minute, half to half, match to match. Yeah, and it might be worth actually, Aaron, talking a little bit about the difference between Solskjaer's counterattacks then and, and Rangnick's counterattacks. As cases suggested there, we're not really talking about full transitional football we're talking about those semi-transitions so you get the ball forward and then you try and generate just a volume of mini transitions in that more advanced central space right yeah I mean I think the key differences to me at least are there's a much clearer provision of like just basic attacking principles the biggest one being width for me you can see that there are always rotations for players to provide width I think there's clear instruction to provide depth I think sometimes the personnel let down on that but having that level of width and depth means that once United do win the ball, the ability to get the ball to situations and positions that actually hurt the opposition defense is much better. And it's much less reliant on sort of extreme creative ingenuity from players like Bruno and Pogba. Like often now, I think what you'll see that you didn't see before is just basic vertical passing and giving options to progress the ball up the pitch really quickly will lead to good 1v1 situations between United's forwards and the opposition defense. The other thing I would say that's much different is, and I mean, this this is maybe slightly less related to the actual nature of the, of the play and possession, but the way United are able to force these situations is better. I think you see a much better shape out of possession that sort of facilitates winning the ball and pressing specifically in that midfield area. And, I mean, we've seen a reduction in United's PPDA, and I think it's pretty clear that United are much better at pressing and winning the ball back, which means that, I mean, I don't, I still don't necessarily think that capitalizing on transitions is a good enough way to generate an attacking output necessary to compete for, like, the Premier League title, for example. But I think if you are going to do it, being able to win the ball back more frequently and generate more of those actual opportunities is really valuable to be able to create an offense that's based off maybe primarily transition attacking. 
Well, that brings us nicely onto the next topic, which is the elephant in the room with Gagan pressing approaches is its suitability at the elite levels. So we've already seen Jesse Marsh fail at RB's Leipzig, largely in part, I think, because the in-possession structure that he was trying to implement didn't really work for a group of maybe particularly technical footballers. And it seems to me that it's more efficient for teams full of elite technical players to possess the ball and look to create a few good chances and fail to give away a lot of good chances to their opponent rather than generating a high volume of attacking chances which break down a lot and invite your opponent to generate a number of more attacking chances than they might have done. So would you say this problem is evident in Manchester United under Ralph Rangnick, Aaron? I don't necessarily think so. I don't think United are at the level such that the limitation to how they're playing is the Gagan pressing system. I don't think United are efficient enough at turning the Gagan pressing into chance creation and preventing the opposition from doing so to be able to say like it's it's Rangnick's system and the limitations of it that are holding the team back. I don't think United as a team move off the ball and on the ball tactically astutely enough to even be a that high level competitor that they need more possession influence over the game i i don't know about the absolute best teams in europe because i think now if you look the five or six maybe best teams in europe are mostly playing systems that look to possess the ball you're seeing managers like klopp sort of i think gradually move towards more possession-based approaches that that take slightly he still has some element of risk i think compared to a guardiola but but slightly less risky and looking to really have higher-end possession stats over the course of a match. But if you look at Rangnick's Leipzig and the season he was there, they were second in the league for non-penalty expected goal difference. They finished third in the Bundesliga. Um, I know they didn't do well in the Champions League, but as far as his system goes, like they were pretty much a bona fide Champions League-level team, if not a Champions League knockout-level team based on their performances in the Bundesliga. They were extremely solid out of possession, and I think they actually underperformed their XG despite scoring quite a few goals. So whether the Gagan pressing system is a limitation at the absolute top level, I think is a different discussion to whether it's a limitation to United, because I don't think United are quite at that level yet. I personally think Rangnick's system is a little bit more direct in possession than I would like to see the team play in the long term. But right now, I don't think that's what's holding the team back in any particular fashion. Is this not a question of ceilings, I suppose? If we're talking about Manchester United needing to get to a certain level and that system being okay for them to reach that level case, do you worry that once Manchester United do reach that level, maybe they won't ever reach that level under Rangnick, and we're going to talk about the future, obviously, later on. Isn't the worry there that, well, once you get to that level, you're then going to have to implement as Klopp did, like as Tuchel has done, all of these managers who've played in, a, in an intense sort of gay compressing approach, you then have to move into it. Actually, you're going to possess the ball more because the opposition are going to allow you the ball more. You have to be able to maintain the ball better. So you're going to have to change your system anyway. Is that not just a, a natural corollary of this sort of approach? Yes. And uh, I agree with what Aaron said about we haven't seen the final form, so it's a bit of a moot point. But on the other hand, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a question of ceilings. You even touched on this. I don't think we're ever going to see the final form of how Rangnick would like to play with this side. So then it does become a question of the future. I definitely think that the way Rangnick wants to play in attack would not consistently make this team a Premier League winner. I would go so far as to say that. 
But that is a really high bar right now, especially the last five years. So I don't think it has to be the case that he could let, get this team to win the Premier League for it to be like an effective and reasonable way for a top side to play, if that makes sense. That does make sense. Let's move on to the pressing side of things. Obviously, the system stands and falls on the ability, as you've suggested, of the, the team to press. So, Case, what have you made of the pressing under Ralph Rangnick? It's been a mixed bag, I would say. I think, for the most part, we've seen simple elements getting picked up better. I think the players are getting better at recognizing the, the trigger opportunities to win the ball in the opposition half. And that's sort of what's been creating some of these semi-transitions that we've seen. But I think on the other hand, in particular, the midfield is struggling with once there's a ball-oriented presser, who the, the secondary options are to press in order to force the ball into a non-threatening position or into a trap to win the ball, which is why we're seeing some sides with more sophisticated buildup like Brighton be able to play really simply through the pressing structure. So while I do think there's the foundation for improvement, and we've already seen improvement, uh, we are winning the ball more in the opposition half. Not by a lot, but the processes for doing it are clearly more in place than they were before Rangnick. I would say there's significant room for improvement in terms of like the cognitive side, in particular for the midfielders. And Aaron, I guess the interesting thing here is that when your press isn't clicking, everything falls to pieces, right? So presumably all it takes is for that press to click and then suddenly things look very different. So how have you found the experience of watching a, a team trying to learn this, as you said, this really intense ball-oriented press where the idea is that you compact space around the ball, uh, you make it impossible for the possessing team to progress the ball. And I suppose you put yourself at risk of being counted on because you're creating spaces elsewhere that are exploitable. So what's your experience been of watching Manchester United trying to do that? Yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying the grin on your face, as you say. Your biggest rival team that's really dependent on pressing is having a mixed bag at pressing. But um, it's sort of interesting. I'm not necessarily... I think Rangnick has sort of been forced to build around a little bit the ability of the side to build plays in the way he normally would, in a way that has kind of made United a little bit less reliant on pressing than I would have said, say, his Leipzig side were. I think the clear example is having a target man like Yusuf Paulson was in his Leipzig team. So what they would do is they would, between Paulson's ability to win duels from long-range balls and their ability to counterpress, they would be able to get up the pitch a pretty decent amount relative to other teams without actually having to implement a playing out of the back system, even though they could do that too. Whereas with United, I think... Rangnick has slowly kind of gone away from that in the absence of that kind of Paulson figure. And in turn, what you've seen is a team that's actually uh, looks to build out of the back a little bit more frequently and as such be less reliant on counter-pressing when they lose the ball. In terms of the the pressing in general and watching it, it's sort of interesting as, as a kind of learning experience because you'll see interesting plays where United will concede a horrible goal. And then in the post-match, Rangnick will say something to the effect of, it was actually a great counter-pressing situation, but we just marginally messed it up, and that created a sequence of events that led to that goal. So once we tighten that up, it could actually be a situation that could create an opportunity for us, but right now we're struggling. In terms of United's implementation, I think there are a couple of players who are clearly struggling with... I, th I think Case was spot on with pointing out the midfielders, who are in particular struggling to really grip the pressing system i think he spoke about bruno earlier especially bruno 
with the attack, I'm slightly more concerned because I just, what I'm seeing personally is just a level of sort of lethargy with initiating these presses. Like it looks like sometimes there's an opportunity for the team to press, but it just takes so long to get it out of that sort of first line and to kind of initiate that chain of the first line goes and then the second line blocks the next pass. And it just feels like you end up with two specific types of errors. One is the opposition center backs just end up with so much time on the ball in certain situations that the ability to press is limited because if they're any good on the ball, they can sort of break the first line and that coordination is not there for United to stop them. And then the second issue you see is United will sometimes force the ball back to the opposition goalkeeper. And this is the issue with Brighton. They were forcing the ball back to Robert Sanchez and Robert Sanchez is great on the ball. He was just breaking the first line, right? So let's say, I think Ronaldo and Rashford tend to be the biggest culprits. They force the ball back to the goalkeeper and then Bruno will press out of shape and there's no one covering the defensive midfielder and the fullbacks. So the goalkeeper, if the goalkeeper can just chip the ball over, then the entire press is broken and suddenly United are in a bad situation because they're outnumbered against the opposition because they pressed up so much. So anyway, I think I think the moral is there's still a lot of players trying to get to grips with it. There's a lot of players who I'm beginning to doubt whether they ever will. And there's players who are simply lacking the energy to actually do it. And whether that will change over time, it remains to be seen. So you guys can see me getting excited here trying to <laughs> cut in. What you said about Bruno, I think, is a great point. For all the talk about how much he's struggling with the press, the forwards are having trouble initiating. And I think part of the reason he's struggling so much with his midfield role in the press is that he's getting frustrated with how the forwards are initiating and that he's running out of shape to initiate the press. And it is completely changing the way... It changes the orientation of every other player in the pitch on the pitch in the press and changes their role. And I think that's often when you see us struggling is the forwards are failing to initiate properly. Bruno's recognizing an opportunity to initiate, but he really shouldn't be the one initiating and he should know that. He goes and initiates and it creates a breakdown in the press. Yeah, I think that's a really common issue that we're seeing. And I would add to that by saying, if United are to go with Rangnick or a manager like Pochettino, there's been a lot of discourse about, and I don't want to, ex- I, I don't want to exhaust it further because I think it was really, really common in sort of the first month of Rangnick's tenure. But there was a lot of discourse of like, can you cheat a man in a press, or can you omit one man from the press? And I think what's important to note is, and it was also an important theme with PSG trying to play Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe up front. First of all, the marginal impact of the players that you're omitting from your press is increasing as you add more players to it. So missing the first guy is one thing, but then if it's two guys, the impact of the second player who's not pressing is actually even greater than the first player who's not pressing. And if you're managed by someone like Rangnick or if United go and hire someone like Pochettino, whose systems are extremely dependent on being able to implement a high press, I think what you're going to end up seeing is the benefits of actually having those players up front who aren't contributing to the press are basically even lower because I mean you're going to need them to be able they're they're basically a method of chance creation for those managers and you're struggling to to involve them essentially yeah and obviously this is the sort of conversation that we as Leeds fans were having a lot with obviously caveated by the fact that it's a man marking system and so the obvious 
issues are going to be that if one of those players is is not up to it, then everything's going to fall apart. But that's absolutely still the case in a ball-oriented counter-press where, in the midfield at least, you have that pentagon or hexagon, which is trying to compact space. And as soon as one person isn't up to it, then you're giving the opposition an out whereby they can play out of that press. Suddenly they're in space and the problems uh, emerge. I have, a, I think, a master's level question here from Carl on Carpenter. Thank you, Carl, for sending this one in. I gave you guys plenty of time to think this one through because it is a, it's, it's a, a teasing question. But he asks, when new managers take over, especially those known for instilling high pressing systems, the first signs of their style taking hold with the squad are in cues and triggers that are clear and obvious. So it could be things like loose touches or passes backwards, etc., of which we've seen a lot under Rangnick in comparison to Manchester United in previous years. The more complex elements of pressing, the differences that exist in longer phases of play or the various differences between a ball-oriented and a man-oriented press are much longer-term changes. In terms of the longer-term and more complex changes that Rangnick has brought in, how quickly and well have the current crop adapted to them and what areas have been the most difficult for them to understand? That's obviously a lot in that question, but I think what Carl's getting at there is that the basic pressing structures will always have these really easy cues to read right so it will be either a player passing to another player maybe another player receiving from a player a player receiving with the ball with their back to the opposition goal uh, it could be the a ball being passed to the goalkeeper and and you know those those are really easy cues and triggers to teach your players this is when you engage the press and i think what carl's talking about then is is you're not simply just wanting uh, individual players to respond to triggers you're wanting the whole of a, of a pressing unit to respond and that obviously takes time so do either of you have any takes on on how well that that sort of more I, I guess the image is like murmurations of starlings when they're flying in the in the sky right and one of them moves and everyone just re- responds to that have you seen any evidence of that sort of thing happening yeah i think so so or at least can speak to how they're failing in that capacity i touched on earlier how for the most part we've been pretty good about recognizing those triggers, like Carl mentioned, and then engaging the ball. But I think what we find in a lot of cases United are struggling with is sort of the, the, the secondary aspects of the press. And I say that with quotes because they're not secondary. It's like the whole point of a press is that everyone is pressed and you're denying passing opportunities. In particular, McTominay is really struggling sort of to, to shield the, the penetrative option. So imagine this is Winger pressing fullback. That's sort of the, the simplest scenario to imagine. If somebody engages the ball, let's say it's Alonga on the right wing. Ronaldo has generally been fine about preventing like the easy ball back to a center back. Whichever fullback is there has done fine denying the, the near side winger. And then generally speaking, uh, whether it be Fred or Pogba, the simple penetrative pass that would just go in, like, into midfield a lot of the time laterally from the fullback is denied. But it seems to me that McTominay has, has struggled grasping when is time to get tight to whether it be an attacking midfielder or a forward dropping off the last line in these scenarios. So a lot of the time you'll see the press get engaged and then it'll seem like the immediate passing opportunities are denied. And then, then you'll see sort of a, a pretty long, direct ball on the ground to somebody in a ton of space right in front of the defensive line. I think for the most part, that's a question of the defensive midfielder shielding. So you'll see that's a problem, both when the wingers are engaging the press and then also when the ball goes back to the goalkeeper, like Aaron was mentioning. There's a real problem 
with midfield orientation. That second issue isn't so much McTominay as it is Pogba and Bruno as well uh, with the goal. For me, at least, I think the biggest, it's it's sort of in line with what Case ended with was that um, the orientation from the midfield when the ball is in a situation where United have forced it into a good spot, it can almost be a mistake in like, I would say the final aspect of the press where if you force the ball back to a player who is then forced to pick out a passing option and every zone is marked, then the odds of winning the ball in the next pass are probably quite high. But what ends up happening is one mistake in the orientation of the midfield or maybe even the fullbacks opens up one passing option, which can undo the entire thing. And I think that is also in a, in a way what I'll add is a transition from Solskjaer where a lot of the pressing was individual-led. I think in a way, Bruno is a great example because he is almost like the embodiment of a lot of what United was under Solskjaer, like extremely opportunistic creative actions and shooting in possession. And in in the case of out of possession, really heroistic actions. He does a lot of things where the biggest purpose is almost like showing he's the guy who's doing those things as opposed to it actually being the best action for the team. So I think the the one that a lot of people talk about all the time is he'll just run directly at the goalkeeper and allow the passing option to go over him or behind him and create a man disadvantage. And it looks like he's the one who's initiating or, or trying the hardest or leading the team because he's the one who's pressing the goalkeeper. But in reality, that's not that's not the best thing for him to do in that situation. So overall, what I would say is it seems like the longer term in ter- from a cognitive or from a mental perspective, the thing that United would need to improve most is just being able to, when they start these actions, execute them in whole and execute them as a team. And every single player has to play their part. When they create an initially good pressing situation, they have to execute it from the perspective of the entire team and not have individual breakdowns, which I guess is what you would expect when you're first implementing something that United haven't really done, like Kay said, since since LVG was manager. It may be worth talking about Ronaldo at this point, because I think there's two as- there's obviously the two aspects of Gagan pressing systems are, are going to impact Ronaldo, I think. So there's going to be issues in possession, there's going to be issues out of possession. In terms of the pressing, we've already suggested there can be issues when one of your players is not pressing to the extent to which you want. Would you say that the biggest issues with Ronaldo are the off-ball stuff, or would you say the biggest issues are the on-ball stuff? The off-ball stuff is kind of initially what everyone was talking about with respect to Ronaldo problems. I think it's I think it's maybe the least interesting aspect of how he affects United as a player because the answer to the question of like is he involved in the press is just no, right? He's just not involved. And I think there are elite players who are not involved in pressing schemes and their marginal value over the next best option who does press on the ball is greater, so they're just worth their inclusion despite not being able to press. And I think where Ronaldo has really struggled this season for United is executing in possession and how he conducts himself as a striker in possession and how that impacts the team. But if we're talking about him from a pressing perspective, yeah, I mean, like I said, you're hiring a manager who is extremely dependent on implementing a high press. And maybe even though he's reduced some of those elements, he's still really dependent on it. And you have, at least initially, the the attacking players, now Greenwood's gone. But, you know, you have Ronaldo and Rashford, who are two players who just aren't offering what they need to be offering out of possession. And that's fundamentally an issue that if they're not offering what they need to out of possession, it's not the primary problem in their game or the primary concern of their game. 
but it really does warrant a questioning on whether they're offering enough in possession to make up for that and be consistent starters or long-term members of this team. I think it's worth mentioning as well that there are two different kinds of presses, I think, in a Red Bull system approach. And I think, obviously, I've spent a lot of time watching Jesse Marsh in the last few weeks because he's he's going to Leeds. And the way that I like to divide it up is phases of play which begin with the Gagan pressing team building up from the back and then phases of play which begin with the opposition team building up from the back because I think there's two very different presses that are going on there. One of them is that this sort of direct balls into the central space break down and then a, a quick counter press to build those sort of small mini transitions as you, as you call them and then the other one is when the opposition are building up from the back you're trying to force them into wide areas use the the sideline as a as an extra defender and and again you're still doing a similar kind of counter press but it's very much a, a, I think a lot more risky insofar as you're leaving a lot of space on other sides and stuff and and the general idea is that in those situations you can fall back if you want into a, a 4-4-2 structure whatever your, your defensive structure is going to be and you're going to try and get into the situations where you can turn the ball around but the general idea is that eventually you will get the ball back into those into those areas where you can start doing that direct transition again. So, yeah, Case, maybe one final question just on that aspect. Do you think that there's some players at Manchester United who are better at, at the sort of central reactive counter press that is, is sort of when the ball's going into central spaces, you're just sort of falling on the ball? compacting space and stopping stopping the opposition from from being being able to do stuff and and also generate these mini transitions versus these other types of presses which are a lot more structured and it is about manipulating the opposition into certain areas from which you can then do your counter press yeah so i would say that that is true of some players in particular i think mctominay is actually very good at at least he's physically adept at closing players down when we lose the ball in the opposition third and immediately winning it back and sort of creating this secondary attack that often sees defensive lines exposed. But he's, like I said, struggling with sort of the, the rest defense version of the counter press, if that makes sense. And yeah, and so you actually mentioned uh, a lot about the risks of that rest defense being that you're leaving space on, on the far side of the pitch. And, you know, that was actually one of the few ways that Rangnick's Leipzig was exploited was often with quick switches into, into lots of space. The difference was that the switches were often atop the defense, over the defense, or around the defense. But what we're seeing with this central penetration problem when uh, the midfield line sort of doesn't execute the second line of the press is that the opposition is able to play directly in front of the center backs and then across the center backs into that far side space, which is seeing a lot of the time Luke Shaw or Telles and Maguire isolated. And make no mistake, Maguire has handled these situations poorly. But if we were able to minimize these situations more in the manner that I think Rangnick would like to, you would see less of a problem in general with the defense. We should move on. I'm aware of time moving on. Let's talk just about the generalities then, because at this point, watching Manchester United's more recent games, it felt to me that they aren't particularly like a Red Bull team. So I just wondered if we could we could maybe touch on that. We had a question from Tom Alderson who said, is Rangnick focusing more on preparing the team for the next manager or trying to get the best out of the team this season? And to what extent is he ex- achieving both of those aspects? And I wondered whether or not you guys would, would, would agree with that. And everyone knows that there is going to be an other manager at the beginning of next season so Rangnick has perhaps just given up on the ideal of of trying to get the the team playing in that in that way 
Yeah, I mean, I think Case and I were discussing this a while ago, and and the conclusion we kind of both came to was that Rangnick's greatest strengths as a as a tactical coach are out of possession, and they come in being able to coach teams to not give the opposition good opportunities and use pressing orientations and systems to win the ball back. And that's basically where his greatest strengths as a coach lie. And I think while no two coaches are exactly the same, I think the elements of having sort of a zonal marking approach and a general out of possession shape are going to be very transferable to another manager. I don't know whether that's Rangnick's approach to trying to get the best out of the team or his intention is to prepare for the next manager. But I think a consequence of the way he is as a coach is that United are likely to achieve both to some extent while he's the interim manager in the sense of both being able to win more matches than they were before and work on that aspect, but also prepare for who's going to take over long term. Obviously, the name that is often brought up is uh, Eric Ten Hag. Case, you know a lot about Dutch football, you know a lot about Ten Hag. What's your feeling on him as a manager, but also the concept of making that transition from from Rangnick to to Ten Hag? Based on reports, and generally speaking, I think I'm a major skeptic on most reports that come out about United because the press just always has to be churning out something because it's such a global institution. But based on most of the reports, he's actually the preferred successor for Rangnick from Rangnick's perspective. And honestly, I think this holds up. I think a lot of people think that his style is different from Rangnick's and that it's more of this possession, positional play than uh, it is a gig pressing system. And there's truth to that. He obviously, the, the principles that he uses are heavily influenced by his time with Bayern 2, uh, where Guardiola was the, the first team manager. And I think you can clearly see aspects of positional play in how they possess the ball. On the other hand, the out-of-possession approach actually resembles in a lot of ways what Rangnick wants to be. I would say once the ball is won, the behavior is completely different, but the out-of-possession approach is actually very German, and maybe I'll lose my passport for saying that, but I think it would be a very smooth transition, honestly. Case knows more about him than me, but my two preferred sort of choices for the United job. If I could name any manager who I feasibly thought might be available were him and Graham Potter at Brighton. At least in my view, what both have in common, and maybe at risk of oversimplifying, is the bigger difference that they both have from Rangnick begins to occur at the point the ball is won back, or at the point United take possession of the ball, or or their teams in general, as opposed to what they do out of possession. I think a lot of people maybe might wrongly say that a Rangnick team would press more than a high possession team, like maybe Man City of three, four years ago, Liverpool. But I think the bigger sort of theme is how pressing is used uh, as a as a method of creation, the amount of sort of incidents of pressing that actually occur. So how often their style facilitates pressing situations, as opposed to how useful the skills that United players develop in a gig and pressing system could transition to a possession-based system. And I think Rangnick is doing a lot of the work that would be difficult for the next manager to do in terms of instilling an out-of-possession structure that resembles what we would see at the top level. And I think that's going to be a task that it's not a needless task. Like the next manager is going to have a much easier time implementing a system out of possession than, than what Rangnick has had to do in the last few months. 
I ended the last podcast episode with an indulgent question about Jesse Marsh, because that's my right as the podcast host. So I'm going to ask you guys a question about Jesse Marsh as well, because obviously Leeds United have just employed Ralph Rangnick 2.0. And I'm interested if you have any cursory thoughts on how you anticipate the system change to go at Leeds. Do you think it will work out? And is Leeds the type of club and the level of club where this sort of football can actually work quite well? So Case, do you want to jump off? So I'll, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I did not see much of Marsh's Leipzig, so I can only really speak to the archetype. I can't speak to him as a manager. But what I will say is I don't see any reason why not. I think you have the benefit of having been playing this intense pressing style for four years. Obviously not a, a man-oriented press, but I still think having the added fitness level and having the impetus, the, the desire to press in these players and, and, and just generally knowing how a, a high press works at, in, in a top flight league uh, is important. So I think you have that advantage in that way. I think ultimately the question becomes, how much is he going to improve the defense, given that he didn't have a good defensive record in the Bundesliga, in a small sample granted, and the fact that your defense is probably the, the number one thing that puts you at risk of relegation? Don't have a good answer to that, because on the one hand, I'm inclined to believe that a move to a zonal system and a ball-oriented press is going to be a positive thing. I don't know whether the growing pains are going to be enough to sort of mitigate that in the short term. There's only, what, how many games is it left? Uh, 12 matches, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the big debate I've seen on Twitter is whether the decision to move from a man-oriented, out-of-possession approach as opposed to a zone-oriented one whether now sort of in the middle of a relegation fight is the time to move from one to the other because I think a lot of people were growing increasingly tired of Bielsa's man marking approach and and its implications when Leeds played particularly the top half of the Premier League I don't really have an answer to that either what I will say is my biggest sort of concern outside that is whether Leeds actually still have the fitness in them at this stage of the season after this many years of Bielsa whether they actually have the fitness to be able to continue to press at a high level, regardless of the orientation or whether they're burnt out. Another concern I would have is the suitability of a lot of these players to a system in general or in in and out of possession at a top flight level that isn't so vastly different to what everyone else is playing. I was on All Stats Army with you like a year ago, and you, I mean, I'm not a Leeds fan, obviously, but I'm a Bielsa fan. And you asked me my sort of favorite Leeds players. And I think four of the five players I listed were Ailing, Dallas, Phillips, and Strauch. And none of them have ever played top flight football uh, at this level outside an, a man-oriented out-of-possession system, right? And how they're able to adapt to doing that is going to be a huge question. But I think the key will lie in whether they stay up or not. And that might be outcome-biased, but... If they stay up, Marsh will probably be given a lot more time to build something that can last. But if they go down, I think he'll struggle a lot to be able to have that backing and support as he builds in the championship. Well, guys, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you today. Before we end, what's the best way for us to follow the stuff that you're putting out? So start with you, Aaron. What's the best way of the listeners following you? Yeah, I mean, my Twitter is the center of everything I do in football. I comment on matches most of the time and comment on speculation, some data work, and you can follow me at A Muniz Football. And yeah, from there you can see I, I do a couple podcasts, a lot of data work, all kinds of stuff. Case, how about you? Yeah, uh, same answer really. Follow me on Twitter. If you enjoyed the conversation 
Aaron and I do this every day on Twitter. So uh, at Hem and Case. Guys, it's been a real pleasure to have you both on. I will be back in a couple of weeks' time with an interview with Jamie Hamilton, who is a football coach. He talked to me about Pep Guardiola as a postmodern thinker and whether or not we can use philosophy as a lens through which to look at tactics. And I can promise you, I've already recorded that episode. It's a belter of a conversation, so do check that out. And for anyone who's listening who isn't signed up to the Patreon yet, from this point onwards, all of the content is going to be behind the Patreon paywall. So do make sure that you check out the the Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash pod about tactics i think don't worry too much about costs being prohibitive because you can get hold of the content every month for just a pound a month so it's it really is not too expensive but that brings me to the end of this podcast episode thank you to aaron thank you to case and thank you guys for listening in You've been listening to a podcast about tactics. I'm John McKenzie. If you like our artwork, then do check out Frankie Mitchell's portfolio over on her Twitter account at MadeByFrankie. Her work is incredible and she's often available for commissions, so do check that out. And then this music, written and recorded by my good friend Joe Hill and his North Ark Septet. You can find out more about them and listen to the music at www.joehillmusic.bandcamp.com. See you next week.